The momentum against Donald Trump in the closing days of his presidency grows as Democrats in the House of Representatives begin their attempts to have him removed from office with a vote today on Capitol Hill. Saudi Arabia unveils ambitious plans for a new zero-emission city on the Red Sea coast. And Thailand has a novel proposal for how international arrivals to the country can divert themselves during quarantine with a round or two of golf. Monocle's editors and correspondents are here to discuss those stories on today's edition of The Late Edition here on Monocle 24. Hello there and a very warm welcome to you to the late edition here on Monocle 24. I'm Thomas Lewis and joining us today are Monocle's Europe editor at large, Ed Stocker and Monocle 24's Daniel Bache. Ed, Daniel, uh, it's brilliant to have you both on the programme today. Haven't spoken to you since the new year has come upon us. A happy new year to you both. How are you both doing? Ed, uh, let's start with you. Uh, I'm very good, you know, getting into the, the new year here in Milan, raring to go, looking for stories, trying to work out the bizarre and uh, strangely complicated sort of traffic light, red, orange, yellow way in which the country is divided according to coronavirus restrictions that seems to be changing every day and deciding to, you know, not get involved in any New Year's resolutions or give up alcohol. I say push through it. It's coronavirus. Let's, let, let's drink through it. Oh, I'm happy to be your cheerleader on that, Ed Stocker. And Daniel Bates, what about you? Any New Year's resolutions made and perhaps broken in these early days of 2021 so far? Uh, yes. Uh, happy New Year to you, Tomas. Great to speak. It uh, it was fun watching all the uh, the tweets about uh, people breaking their uh, very short-lived dry January uh, resolutions uh, because of events last week in the US, which we shall talk about. But I'm not really one for... Uh, for uh, big goal setting or resolutions, uh, Tomas, I did uh, I did order some uh, non-alcoholic beer just to try it. I used to think that was a uh, a bit of a, an oxymoron, but I thought I'd just try it anyways. You know, uh, <laughs> see how it goes. Have a nice uh, weeknight uh, drink, Tomas. I'll crack one open while we're uh, talking here. Well, do let us know how it goes down, Daniel. Daniel Bates and Ed Stocker, great to have you both with us on the programme today. Well, let's begin in Washington, D.C., where Democrats are mounting the first stage of their bid to remove Donald Trump from office. If today's vote in the House of Representatives to effectively force Vice President Mike Pence and a majority of the Cabinet to invoke the 25th Amendment, which would allow President Trump's immediate removal from office, if that vote fails, then attention will turn to a vote tomorrow on whether to impeach President Trump for a second time. Well, before we come to you, Daniel and Ed, and hear from some of our contributors who've been speaking to us throughout the day here on Monocle 24, Monocle's news editor, Chris Chermak, is here with the latest for us. Chris. Hello, Thomas. The clock is ticking today in the US as the House of Representatives votes on a resolution that would give Vice President Mike Pence 24 hours to invoke the 25th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. That, with the help of the cabinet, would allow him to remove President Donald Trump from office for his role in the attack on the U.S. Capitol building last Wednesday. Pence is, of course, unlikely to answer this demand, and we're therefore more likely to see the U.S. House of Representatives vote to impeach Donald Trump tomorrow. That would make him the first president ever to face impeachment twice in one term. Trump, for his part, showed no remorse in some combat of remarks to reporters today, saying that he had been listening back to the speech he gave to his supporters last Wednesday, 
urging them to march on the Capitol and stop lawmakers from certifying Joe Biden's victory in the presidential election, Trump said he found the remarks to have been quote-unquote totally appropriate. He also called the new impeachment trial another witch hunt. It should be said that he underlined he wants no violence, but that's unlikely to calm security officials who are on high alert in Washington today ahead of Joe Biden's inauguration. Thousands of National Guard troops are on hand, and downtown Washington is going to be placed on a security lockdown that's going to start tomorrow already, amid warnings that extremist groups could descend on the Capitol to disrupt Biden's inauguration, which is now less than 10 days away. I should say all of this is pretty unprecedented, but it's also a sign that federal officials just don't want to be caught off guard the way that they were last Wednesday. Thomas? Chris Chermack, Monocle's news editor. Thank you very much indeed. Well, there is a little more than a week to go before Joe Biden's inauguration next Wednesday. And an unprecedented security operation is underway in Washington, D.C. and around other state capitals across the country, which the FBI believes could be the focus of further armed unrest in the coming days. Well, a little earlier, we spoke to Suzanne Lynch, Washington correspondent for the Irish Times newspaper, who gave us this sense of the security manoeuvres underway ahead of Inauguration Day in the United States. I was up at the Capitol in recent days myself, and it really is, you know, surreal, very eerie. There's now a huge fence surrounding the perimeter, a seven-foot unscalable fence, and indeed fences and armed guards at other buildings. So across from the U.S. Capitol at Supreme Court, for example, that is now heavily fortified. You've got members of the U.S. Army with guns standing maybe you know, 50 metres from each other all around the perimeter of the Capitol. And then people like myself who have access to the Capitol can go in there, but it's a lot quieter. Really quite eerie, actually, the atmosphere there as repairs are still going on following what happened last week. But we are looking at a very different inauguration. Suzanne Lynch there speaking to The Briefing today. Daniel, before we get into the political moves that might come next in this process against Donald Trump, what do we know about how Donald Trump supporters and even the man himself, how they're organising now, following, of course, the closing of many online platforms and accounts following last week's events? In the light of these warnings from the FBI that further tumult is being planned, what do we know about how organising is happening at this stage, would you say? Yeah, very interesting one, uh, Tomas, to watch uh, in the days ahead and and before the inauguration, of course, we've uh, all seen the headlines about um, uh, about the actions from from Twitter and Facebook and the like, and from Parler, which was quite uh, the popular platform, of course, for people organizing these things. I, I think it's it's not that difficult for uh, word and uh, conversation to continue out there. Just thinking of uh, you know Facebook and and comments and things that might be shared, obviously. WhatsApp is a, is a huge uh, uh, way for people to share uh, things around the world, comments, news clips, things like that. Reddit, uh, another one. So I think uh, the conversation and the organization uh, will uh, continue. It's interesting, actually, to watch today just uh, the forensic breakdown of, of events of, of, of only just uh, uh, you know six, seven days ago in uh, Washington, D.C. And, and the storming of the Capitol. Uh, just listening to Suzanne Lynch there and, and hearing about the security preparations that are there and, and wondering 
why those uh, weren't in place in past when all these conversations are happening uh, uh, very boldly on social media and uh, at rallies by the president. Uh, the New York Times has a quite f- uh, interesting forensic breakdown of the, the timeline of last Wednesday afternoon where uh, people were gathered, uh, as uh, Donald Trump had called on them to do. Uh, he, uh, you, you know, people take uh, his word as gospel when he's saying the election is stolen. He, and he's uh, just down uh, Constitution in Pennsylvania and the mall from uh, from the Capitol, saying uh, if you want uh, if you want things to happen, you have to you have to get out there and do it. And you can't take back your country uh, without uh, bold action. He 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 was quite literally putting out this call to arms to people, and it's amazing uh, uh, that uh, the security uh, was not taken more seriously at that uh, moment in the afternoon. Of course, we know that turned into a, a deadly situation uh, with uh, uh, five people losing their lives on the day. But uh, to your points uh, on the conversations that are ongoing, I think, uh, I mean, these are still happening uh, on cable news, on, on, on Fox, uh, and these things will continue to happen in the dark corners of the internet and uh, in simple posts on, on Facebook. I think uh, they, can't, uh, they can't censor everything, Tomas. Well, let's hear now from Brian Klass, who's an associate professor in global politics at University College London. And he spoke to us on The Globalist today about how the incoming administration will aim to balance Joe Biden's agenda with the rigours of a potential impeachment trial. What's more likely at this stage, based on Biden's comments and comments I saw from House Democratic leaders yesterday, is that they will do what Biden calls a bifurcated process in which the Senate trial will will be part of the Senate's agenda in his first time in office. In other words, they may have the impeachment trial in the morning and in the afternoon they may confirm uh, nominees to Biden's cabinet or consider legislation that uh, the Democrats favor. So rather than having it hijack the entirety of the Senate business, it would be sort of walking and chewing gum at the same time, doing two things at once to try to make sure that this is very, very serious, and people understand that, but that it doesn't end up obscuring or impeding the act of governing that Biden is so keen on starting on January 20th. Brian Class of University College London there. Ed, this idea of walking and chewing gum at the same time, the idea that the incoming Biden administration doesn't want its first act to be totally consumed by the moves against Trump. I wonder, though, if you think there's a risk that if the Senate, for example, as we've heard from figures like Jim Clyburn over the past few days, takes several months to decide Trump's fate in a forthcoming impeachment trial. Do you think that the steam of the moment ebbs somewhat if that does take place, that the seriousness of what unfolded last week has a chance to dim in some way? Yeah, probably worth explaining also to listeners uh, because it's quite confusing. Obviously, the House of Representatives at the moment is, is has a majority uh, from the Democrats, so it's expected to pass there. A different matter in the Senate. But also, on top of that, Sen- the Senate is in recess until after the inauguration. So that's why we could see the Senate debating impeachment while there is, in fact, a new president, which is an oddity in and of itself. 
Look, it's understandable why Joe Biden may want to move on. He's tried to be, and he tried to be back in the primaries, the sort of president that, uh, you know, appealed to uh, everyone. He wanted to bring Americans together. He wanted to be, uh, you know, a moderate voice. He definitely wasn't on the left of the party. Uh, and so uh, there's a feeling that he may want to continue that. Obviously, he's also got his nominations to uh, deal with, uh, the nominations for his cabinet that, you know, he doesn't want uh, to have interfered with by uh, these impeachment proceedings. Uh, They may uh, delay uh, the impeachment until after those nominations have happened. Um, When you talk about momentum, obviously, the fact that there'll be a a new president, uh, we don't know what Donald Trump will be doing and how vocal he'll be. We know his wings are being clipped, as we talked about a little bit earlier, by not being on some of these social media platforms. But it will be odd. Um, Having said that, you know, there are Democrats that want to push for this because he will lose if he were to be uh, convicted. And remember, last time he was impeached, he he was acquitted in pretty speedy time. If he were to be convicted, uh, then he would lose some financial perks uh, that an ex-president has. And also there would be a possibility that he would be barred from running for the presidency again in 2024. So... You can see why some Democrats uh, may be pushing for that. At the same time, the US is such a divided country. Uh, We've seen by some of these narrow margins in some of the states that Joe Biden won, just how split and divided and just how close those elections recently in the special election in Georgia were, how divided the US is. So there is a feeling maybe it won't be in January, but at some point there has to be some sort of a healing process that takes place in the country, or at least an attempt at that. We'll have to see if it's possible uh, to try and heal some of these divisions, because at the moment, you know, there's talk of this million militia march on the day of inauguration. There's anger, there's division, and, uh, you know, for everyone's sake, not just the US's, but the world's, we really hope that these divisions can, can be mended and Joe Biden will be able to achieve that. Well, for more on what unfolds in the US House of Representatives today, do join the Globalist team here at Monocle 24, which begins live at 7am London time. They'll have the latest updates for you. But next here on the late edition, Saudi Arabia's crown prince has unveiled an ambitious proposal for a new seaside city that will generate no carbon emissions and will be entirely free of cars. Well, earlier today, Monocle's Nick Manise had more for us on this story on today's edition of The Briefing. Basically what they've done is, and I do this too, they've started one project without finishing another one. So they've proposed another new city that's going to be built from scratch, part of their sustainability plans. It's called Neom. It's a 500 US billion dollar, 26,000 square kilometre business zone that they're proposing, keeping in mind that they already have started and failed to, I guess, complete their King Abdullah economic city. So that they've basically got these two potential sandy white elephants, is, is what we might want to call, <laughs> call them, uh, sustainable, and I'm putting that in air quotes, cities in the desert. And I, I guess my issue with this is that constantly trying to, you know, build and develop new and shiny things to prove that you're sustainable, really you've got to question if that itself is is actually sustainable. Nick Manise there. Daniel, these plans are quite extraordinary, aren't they? But as Nick mentioned there, is there a chance, do you think, that they become a kind of a white elephant? What struck you most about them? And this idea that Nick brought there about whether this constant uh, chasing of building something bigger and better and more extraordinary, how sustainable an act that is in its own right? 
Yeah, a very interesting point there uh, from Nick on on the sandy elephant. I mean, think of other oasis in the desert, if you will, Tomas, uh, not far away in the region, uh, Dubai, Doha, two great examples, of course, uh, you know, if you build it, uh, will they come? It's uh, a long-term game, and it's, it is to be seen, but uh, I, I do take your point that uh, uh, trying to show that you are sustainable by building more might uh, not really mesh well. Uh, I mean, uh, Saudi Arabia obviously looking uh, for some great publicity here. They've spent a lot of money and uh, put a lot of effort, of course, into their tourism uh, campaigns and, and trying to drive business, so uh, they will be trying to compete with uh, Dubai and Qatar. Uh, so uh, an interesting one there. I have to say this, Tomas, reminds me a lot of uh, where I spent my uh, teenage uh, and early 20s, uh, teenage years and early 20s in Canada and specifically in Calgary, which has a, an incredible uh, urban sprawl, we can say. And this uh, will be hard to visualize for people that uh, haven't spent time in the suburbs of uh, a North American city. Uh, but what you would get there is uh, brand new communities that are built uh, out of farmland in the middle of nowhere. And what they and this is there's no sewers, there's no roads, there's no nothing. So uh, you're building a city from scratch and then hoping uh, everything will come later. First, it's uh, the roads, then they put in the houses, and and it's years and years and years before they even start to build the schools and, and, and the football pitches and, and uh, the businesses and all that and, and, and culture being a big part of that. So it's a very long game and I've never really agreed with that way uh, of building with putting something out in the middle of nowhere and then hoping it uh, it works out eventually as a, as a great example of uh, uh, design and uh, and business and, and all this. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's worked in other places. Um, Las Vegas, perhaps a good example, Tomas, uh, uh, out there in the middle of nowhere. But uh, I mean, uh, this seems a stretch. And, and particularly on the sustainable front, uh, I think uh, in a, this coming in a week when uh, cities like um, uh, Paris uh, are talking about how they can reinvent themselves uh, uh, without uh, building <laughs> something in the middle of nowhere, I think uh, that's perhaps a much better example of sustainability. Well, you can read more on that story of the new proposed city in Saudi Arabia in today's edition of the Monocle Minute. Well, finally here on the late edition, self-imposed quarantines are something that many of us have faced during the past year or so. But Thailand's government is discussing a way of making the two-week quarantine for arrivals there a little less confining by allowing people arriving in the country to quarantine at the country's golf resorts. Gwen Robinson is Monocle's Bangkok correspondent and she had more for us on the story a little earlier today. It's actually right now being discussed today by the Thai cabinet for the final proposal but as far as uh, we've heard it's a proposal to let golfers or anyone who wants to golf come to Thailand on a special two-week sort of quarantine arrangement but they can go straight to a golf resort they can move around throughout the whole resort, play golf as much as they want, then I presume either do their quarantine and stay in the country or simply fly back out, which would be ideal, I suppose, for the legions of particularly Japanese and Chinese who come in to 
to play golf. And it's quite an ingenious idea if the Thais could make it work. Gwen Robinson there. Ed, the goal here by Thailand's government, as Gwen said, is to try and eke out some kind of tourism revenue from within the confines of its quarantine measures. It is, as Gwen said, an ingenious idea, isn't it? Ed, let's start with you. What struck you most about it? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, just being in Italy, being based here, you realise, you know, this is a country that is heavily reliant on tourism and, you know, it's going to suffer really badly uh, from the drop in numbers. And, uh, you know, the same applies to Thailand. Uh, There are plenty of countries around the world that are trying to rethink uh, what they do in the face of coronavirus restrictions and how they can try and make it work. Um, I think, you know, we talk about this a lot in Monocle, this idea, uh, and especially in some of the more recent issues uh, since this uh, pandemic uh, decided to arrive and change our our lives completely. This idea that you have to be nimble. Uh, You know, uh, this is uh, this this pandemic is sort of um, in a way dividing the wheat from the chaff, seeing who, who can make it and who can't. And of course, there's some terrible stories to have come out of that. But it's also showing that people can be entrepreneurial and they can be nimble in trying to work a way around this and that can be an individual, it can be a company or in the case of Thailand it can be a decision from the government um, Look, with with golf you could make the argument uh, some things are easier in the sense that uh, the actual uh, pursuit if you like of golf is, is, is going to be outside and so that kind of makes it a little bit easier than you know some tourism uh, perhaps in in winter places where there would be more indoor activity Uh, but I think you know governments and tourism boards have to try anything they can uh, to try and make people uh, travel because you know they need to make the money and it'll be interesting really to see how much take up there is you know how much people are scared off or whether the draw it sounds kind of nice to me uh, being in a rather cold Milan at the moment whether the draw of sunny tropics and playing golf is just too too difficult to resist uh, well, certainly uh, always very tempting at this time of year in January. It's been quite cold in the UK uh, uh, compared to uh, normal winters, I think, uh, Tomas. Uh, I am, of course, am, am from the Great White North in Canada, and uh, there is a, a strong history of escaping the winter there, uh, especially for the, the retired set uh what are known as snowbirds, people that head uh, to California, uh, Arizona, and Florida during the winter time. I mean, I could be down for that, but I do not. Uh, I'm not convinced at, at, at this point that and uh, any place has really done the uh, testing, quarantine, uh, safe travel just right. I mean, I think there's some some great uh, plans out there, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sold on the safety at uh, at this point, Tomas. But uh, it would be good if 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 somebody stepped up. Uh, uh, and this is a good example and, and showed how it can be done because a lot of businesses, uh, particularly in, in tourism and hospitality, are hurting right now and uh, very much looking uh, to welcoming people back, uh, uh, be that uh, to a golf course or a beach or, or something like that, uh, that which uh, does uh, sound very nice at this time of year, Tomas. 
Well, Daniel Bache and Ed Stocker, always the purveyors of a hole-in-one, if you'll see what I did there, when it comes to discussing the news. Anyway, a big thanks to the two of you for being with us today. That's all I'm afraid to say we have time for for today's programme. A big thanks too to Sam Impey in London, who edited today's show. The late edition returns at the same time tomorrow. But for now, from me, Tomas Lewis, it's goodbye, and thank you very much for listening. (laughs) 